Children's Church. If you would, open your Bibles to the book of Colossians. Open your Bibles to the book of Colossians and Colossians chapter 3. A few weeks ago, I was able to speak in Colossians, and we'll continue through some of this chapter, looking at a few different aspects of it. And uh, as we know, or as we think about the book of Colossians, I just want to remind you that the book is about Christ and how He has preeminence, or really first place in all things. And really, the gospel uh, is is about Jesus having first place or priority in our hearts. And so the key verse in Colossians, or the theme verse, is this verse, I believe, right in the center section of it, Colossians 2.6. You see it there on the screen. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. And so the way that we receive Christ as for salvation is the way that we actually grow as Christians. There's no magic formula for us to grow as Christians. There's nothing beyond Christ that helps us grow as Christians. We are in Christ, so we grow as Christians closer to be like Christ. And that's what Colossians 3 is talking about. Colossians 3 tells us since we are risen with Christ, since we have new life in Jesus, we actually should have a life that reflects that new life. We should live a different life. So we're going to talk about in Colossians 3, 5 through 11, we'll talk about that new life in Christ and look in verses 5 through 11 that tells us how to eliminate sin in our new life with Christ. But if you're there in Colossians, I want to read and, and go back just a little bit and read in Colossians 3, 1, and we'll read through verse 11. So if you would, follow along as I read. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. And we get to our text today. Verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthy, earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie one to another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. You have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of the Creator. Here there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. But Christ is all and in all. Paul tells the believers that we have new life in Christ. Our lives, as we see in the first part of that verse, should be focused on the eternal, not the temporal. Our minds should be focused on where Christ is, and we should have a changed mindset. Then he gets here in these verses, 5-11, through It's not just our mind that changes. Our mind and our heart is changed to be like Christ. And so our actions should also be reflected and changed to be like Christ. We need to be eliminating sin from our life. And I think the theme of this text is that those that have been raised with Christ must eliminate sin and ungodliness from their life. Those that have been raised with Christ must eliminate sin and ungodliness from their life. We strive to work to, to eliminate sin, and, co- and we're commanded in these verses to put to death sin. 
kill what is earthly in you. You know, sin is something that we as humans love dearly. We love our own way. We love ourselves. We love getting our, uh, what we want. We're selfish. We're prideful. We really love sin. And Christ, in these verses, through Paul, what he's writing is telling us, put to death something that you've been accustomed to your whole life and that you want to hold on to. But we know sin is something terrible and it's awful, but yet we often love it. The world is in love with it. But as Christians, we are to eliminate it from our life. And sometimes we get this misnomer. We think that sin, the problem is outside of us. You know, it's a friend of mine put a post on Facebook the other day, and he said this. He said, I try to be a good person, but then someone pulls out in front of me driving 10 miles below the speed limit. And immediately you realize uh, you might not be a good person, and he said, then I try again the next day to be a good person. And we think that just like that, everything that's a problem, the sin that is, affects us is from outside of us. If other people just didn't exist or other people didn't sin, I wouldn't have a problem. Go ahead and look in verse 5 of that text and see what it says, because Paul says something totally different. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly outside of you. Oh, it says in your translation, in you, right? We wish it said outside of you, because then that'd be easy. When it's inside of us, this is difficult. This passage hits home. Because the reality is, just like you and myself included constantly, we see how ugly our heart really is. When we're challenged, when we don't get our own way, it's ugly and it's from within. But we're told here, put it to death, kill it. Work at getting rid of the sin that's within you. The only way that that happens is the same way that we have, that we have salvation. It's the way forward in salvation is through Christ. And the way forward through new life is through Christ. If we are risen with Christ, then we live for Him. And so I have up on the screen, probably in small font, but you may be able to see it, just the outline for today. And we're going to walk through this passage and see what this says. In verse 5, we see this present command. Put sin to death. We see it in verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And he tells us to make an effort to kill sin. Death isn't something that we necessarily love. We don't love to see death. We don't like to see things die oftentimes. If you have a morbid uh, love for that, that's strange. We don't really like death. God tells us here not something to just amputate. He doesn't say put something to the side. He says kill or put to death what is earthly in you. Killing sin isn't easy, but it must be done. It's an intense struggle. It's something that we must do with our lives is fight against the control of the sin nature that's within us to submit to God and say yes to Christ instead of our sinful desires. Paul, we understand what sin is. Sin is rebellion against God. It's missing the mark. It's not living up to the standards that God has said. And we need that righteousness of Christ within us. And only He can give that to us but yet, there's this active participation that we must do. We must actively fight against sin in our lives. And in these verses, in verses 8 and 9, there's five sins that are actually kind of set, or they're mostly uh, talking about sexual sins in, in the first verse there. 
and that the list in verse 8 and 9 are going to be social sins. And we're going to see those, and, and really you can kind of categorize them, but there's a list of things that Paul says, avoid these. Now, let me say this. If I read this passage, and we go through this today, and you're struggling with a sin that's not listed here, don't think, hey, good, they didn't talk about the Bible didn't say anything about what I'm struggling with, so I'm good for a few more weeks until that comes up. If you know you're struggling with sin, whether it's in this passage, whatever it is, if God has convicted you, the time to repent of that is now. You ask Christ, even your seat right now, Lord, forgive me of the sin. And you don't wait for some other time and say, I'm going to wait for a revival. I'm going to wait for a camp meeting. I'm going to wait for some message on this specific thing. If there's something that God convicts you of, repent of it now. Let's see what he talks about in these verses. He says, put to death what is earthly in you. And he says first, sexual immorality. This refers to any sort of sexual sin in general, but especially is talking about pornography, immorality, and adultery. This is any sex or any immorality outside of marriage. It's sin and it shouldn't be named among Christians. Our world has an occupation or just a preoccupation and a love for things that are immoral and sexually deviant against God. And we sometimes are okay with watching it or participating in it or thinking about it or dwelling about it, dwelling on it. And it says, put that to death. It goes on, he says, any impurity or uncleanness. And this is talking about sexual sin. And it goes beyond. It should be. It really is talking about impurity or uncleanness in the mind. Impurity that is connected connected with loose living or immoral living, or even clearly describing in other places homosexuality. And oftentimes, when we look at sexual sins, we can look and say, "Oh, there's those are evil things happening out there," but yet we struggle with what we watch on in movies, on our phones, what we think about, what we listen to. Music that's consumed with filling our mind with thoughts of sexuality and things that are impure and immoral. And if that's a struggle for you, don't just give up and give in and say, ah, I fought against it long enough. I can't, I can't get victory over this. Fight. Put to death the sin that is within you. Work to get people that will help you. Get with other men or women that will help you conquer some of those sins. It's always going to be a struggle. I've, I've heard people sometimes say, oh, I've had victory over this sin for however many years. And then they struggle and they figure, oh, this is never going to be a problem again. And you know what? Throughout our life, day after day, we battle and we fight against sin. And sexual sin, especially in this world today, is something that is constantly a barrage at us. Men, take heart. Don't let this be named among you. Watch what you watch. Be pure in your thoughts. If you're struggling, work at it. Get help. Ladies, be careful in what you see, in what you view, in how you act, how you live. Let our lives be pure and holy before God. He goes on in this verse that he says sexual immorality, impurity, and he says passion and evil desire. Really, these words are very closely related. It describes a state of mind that is excited of sexual impurity. Passion for sexual impure things. 
evil desires, ungodly desires, a desire for immorality and impurity. If that's what you desire, if that's what you're filling your life with, if that's your appetite, change it. Cut it off. Just like if you're on a diet and you're trying to lose weight and cut down, you cut certain things out of your diet. Maybe carbs, maybe sugars, maybe whatever it is. That's the same thing we put to death these evil desires within us. Then he goes on and he talks about covetousness. And this maybe seems out of place because you said these five sins are talking about sexual sins. We could even say covetousness, which is listed as idolatry there. We could describe it as greed. It's an unquenchable desire to have more. And it can be towards anything. It can be towards material things, cars, money, what other people have. But especially this covetousness is often in the Bible related to sexual sin. Think about what the, the, uh, the Tenth Commandment says. The Tenth Commandment says this, Do not covet your neighbor's wife. God hates covetousness. It's considered idolatry because people are consumed with having what you don't have. That really is what the whole pornography industry is about. Having something that you don't have and wanting that, coveting in it, having immoral desires and impurity. And these things are listed together, I think very clearly, because we often want to worship the Creator rather, or the creature rather than the Creator. We want to be pleased by ourselves and others rather than pleased with God. And so if you're finding fulfillment or trying to find fulfillment outside of your marriage, outside of the strict bounds that God has set, you need to stop Repent and cut that from your life. What we desire usually determines what we do. There's not many times that when I would like a piece of chocolate that I don't go and find it somewhere. I usually, if I want some kind of sweet, eventually I'm going to find that and get that because I have that desire, right? We've created an appetite for something. I could list all kinds of foods right now and those might be in your brain for lunch and so I won't do that. But we create desires. And if your life is letting those desires of sexual pleasures or things that are outside of God's, met, God's bound for marriage, if those are being ha- uh, happening in you, pray to God. As the psalmist says in Psalm 51, uh, David says in Psalm 51.10, and really the whole passage there would be great to meditate on, but he says in Psalm 51.10, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Let that be our prayer, that God would renew us, that we would say, I am a risen, I'm a person that has a risen life with Christ. Let me reflect that. These sins must be eliminated from our life. We must fight. They're a description of our previous unsaved condition. Really, as, as Ephesians calls it, we're sons of disobedience, children that follow our own desires. Why is this a problem? Well, one, it's not reflecting of what somebody should do when they have a risen life of Christ. But look in verse 6. Two, because of this future punishment coming. The future punishment coming is God's wrath on disobedience. The problem with these sins is the fact that we are disobedient to God. And a person that's been redeemed and is risen with Christ shouldn't live, with a per- live like a person under God's wrath. We should be free from sin and fight against it. Because of God's holiness, He must punish sin. You may think, why did God create hell? Why is there a hell? Well, it's for Satan. 
But anybody that rebels against God and that does not submit to Him is also going to be cast into the lake of fire. It's not a place that God wanted to send people and His creation. It's a place for Satan. But when we say we're going to side against God with sin, we're under His wrath. And His wrath will not be quenched. It will be unleashed on all unrighteousness. And so let me encourage you, if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, if you've never submitted to Him as your God and Savior, do that today. There is wrath coming. You may think this lie that the world and many people have said, God loves everyone, so He wouldn't send anybody to hell. That's incorrect thinking. Christ talks very often about hell in the New Testament and the Gospels. God will punish sin. And there is wrath coming that will be unleashed on all wickedness. And so when we live a life that says, yes, I'm a believer, but I live in sin constantly, we live a life that looks like we should be under God's wrath. We really are living a life that's an oxymoron, that's opposite of what we should be doing. It's incorrect living, incorrect thinking. And we sometimes think, well, that's for other people and not me. That's never been a problem with me. But then we look at the third point in verse 7. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. You may look at that list in verse 5 and say, you know, these sins I don't struggle with so much. And you know what? I'm so glad to be risen with Christ. I'm not, I'm not under that punishment. And your mindset may think, I really don't like anybody that doesn't trust Christ in God. In fact, you may be self-centered and, and say and look at other people and say, I can't believe they would do that. I can't believe they would live that way. I can't believe they'd wear that. I can't believe they would live in a life that would be against God. And if we look at this verse, we see very clearly, Paul's reminding us, you were what just like that once. You lived the same way. It's an ex- this is an ex- exclamation of the great change that has taken place. We should look at this verse and say, praise God that He changed us. But it also should be an exhortation to say, you were once like that, so you shouldn't be living like it now. If you were once an unsaved person and you didn't trust Christ, and now you have trusted Christ and said, I want to live for Him, I want to be redeemed, then you should live different. You should have a life that's devoted to living, Christ, living for Christ. Praising Him for saving you from the consequences of sin. When we become Christians that look down on new believers, or we look down and see somebody that's not living the way we think they should, or we look at this world with disgust and say, I can't believe that. Instead of having a heart of compassion, we've really missed what Christ has done. Christ said He looks out and He sees people and He has compassion with them. He looks out and sees a harvest for people's souls so that they would submit to Him. But too often as Christians, we forget what Christ saved us from. And instead of having compassion on the lost, compassion on young believers, compassion on people that are still maturing in their faith or may not have faith, instead of having compassion, we look down on them on them with judgment. We look at verse 6 and think, if I was God, I would just pour out my wrath on them right now. Praise God, He gives more grace than we do. Oftentimes we think, man, I wish people would treat me fairly. I wish they would treat me with grace. I wish they would forgive me. Yet we don't forgive. We don't treat people with grace. We have expectations so high that nobody can meet it. 
And we forget verse 7, that we once were in that need of that same grace. And to be honest, as I live my life, I'm in need of that grace day after day after day. Paul goes on and he says, here's the other command I'm giving to you. Continue to put off these sins from your life. And he goes in verse 8 and 9 and he says this. The present command continued. He says, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. The command to put off and put to death continues here. Really in verse 5, he uses a very clear, uh, very uh, it maybe seems drastic, put these sins to death. He uses a very close, ter- closely related term, but he, he basically changes the idea and he says, take these things off. Change the clothes that you're wearing. Those old, dirty clothes that Christ has redeemed you from, don't keep picking them up and putting them on. And he lists these things. He says, anger. It's really a deep, smoldering bitterness. And we know what anger is. It's the same word here used of the wrath of God. It's, it's a disposition against something. God has a disposition against sin. We often have a disposition of anger against other people. It describes a habitual attitude. God has a right to be angry at sin. And often that's our claim. Well, I'm angry at sin. Yet we hate people. Or we're angry at what somebody does. We shouldn't be angry and hateful towards others. You know, really in the workplace, anger is being upset or bitter at another coworker, maybe because they received a raise and you didn't, or you thought you deserved more than them, and you're angry with them. Wrath is a sudden outburst of sinful anger. All of a sudden, wrath and wrath from God is righteous. Wrath from us is often just anger being built up and then it explodes. It flows out of our attitude. It's like a volcano erupting. Once it starts, nobody can stop it. Maybe this is sometimes you at work. That person got the raise. For whatever reason, you erupt in anger. You yell at them. And you know what? You, you, I'm going to tell them what I think of them. Oh, great. That's wrath. Maybe that happens in your marriage, with your kids, with other people. It goes on and talks about malice. It's an attitude of ill will or hurt towards other. It enjoys seeing somebody else hurt and punished. It enjoys seeing, and it hates, malice hates seeing someone else have success or praise or glory. It's that person that got the raise that you exploded in, all of us uh, exploded at, and you laid out your wrath towards them, and you think, I hope they get hurt. I hope they get fired. I hope they get in big trouble. It's evil thinking. You may be thinking, well, I don't have any work. I don't go to a job, so it's no problem. But my spouse, I wish she would trip and fall sometimes. You'd be like, I'd never say that. But, you know, I mean, she irritates me. My kids never do what they want. We just smolder with anger, wrath, malice, and hatred in our hearts. And that leads to slander and blasphemy where we say things that tear others down. It's connected to gossip, and instead of saying things that uplift and uphold other people, we destroy them. That person got the raise in their job, and so we try and destroy them. And you think, it's my job to make sure they don't get another raise. So I'm going to spread rumors about them. Sometimes it involves lying. Then it goes on and talks about obscene talk, filthy language, language that's dirty, obscene, that loves telling dirty jokes. 
that loves cutting down other people and hurting people, that loves using language that shouldn't be in a Christian's mouth. And you may say, you know what? I don't do that. I say things that are good. But boy, if you knew what went through my mind, it would be awful. Or maybe you say, just like I remember, and it's so amazing how people have self-control when they hear who, what you do. You sit with someone and you talk with them as often as my uh, experience, and you're talking with them, and they may just be laying out all kinds of filthy language, obscene talk, and they say, what do you do? And I'll say, I'm a pastor. And then immediately they say, I am so sorry. And then their language for the rest of the conversation is just squeaky clean. You're like, oh man, yeah, I've, I've been around that before. But you may also be that person like, man, if, if people heard how I talked at work, if people heard what I said online when I'm gaming, if people heard what I said in my chats with my friends, boy, that'd be awful. I sure hope that gets deleted or not seen. I sure hope that's gone. We haven't, haven't we learned enough from football coaches and things like that where it's like, oh, those things are seen by somebody. The person that it's seen by is God. And a person that says, I am risen with Christ. I live a life reflecting His glory and talks like this is really living a life that doesn't match up. It's a claim of truth that's lived in a life of falsehood. And it goes on, and Paul says, lying. Lying must be eliminated from a Christian's life. Lying is something that is distorting the truth, deceiving someone else, exaggerating the truth. It must be eliminated. We must live a life of truth. John 14.6 says, Jesus Christ, He is the way, the, li- uh, the way, the truth, the life. Jesus is the truth. If, if our Savior is the truth, the truth, we should live a life of truth. And this is what you use to tear down that person at the job that got a raise. You tear them down and you lie about them. You lie about your job qualifications. You lie about everything so you'll get the better stuff. You lie about other people. You lie to your parents. You lie to your spouse. Sometimes we lie because we want to cover up those sins that were listed in verse 5. Oh, I don't have any problems with sexual sins. And then your browser history says totally different. And we try to lie to everybody. We think we can lie to God. And it's wrong. Many of these, most of these, are areas that are controlled with the mouth or, or spoken with the mouth, but can be are controlled with our mind. James says that our mouth, our speech, is, is something that's very difficult. He says, who can control the tongue? And the reason why people can't control the tongue is because their heart is desperately wicked and they're not submitting to Christ. James 3, 7 through 10 says this, for every kind of beast and bird of the, uh, uh, bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. This is sometimes what we do. With it, we come to church and we bless our Lord and Father. We say wonderful things to Jesus. James says this, And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. The same God that we praise made these same people, but yet we curse them and say evil things about them. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Paul says, put these things off. Like an old garment, take them off and throw them away. Probably most of you have worked in the summer here in the hot sun of Texas, or possibly in December when it's still 95 degrees out sometimes. 
And you go out and you do yard work or whatever it may be. You're sweaty, drenched, have mud all over, dirt, mosquito bites, whatever it is, and you feel awful. You go in, you take a shower, feel wonderful. And usually, you put on new clean clothes. But imagine if you picked up that dirty, nasty pair of clothes that you were already wearing and put it back on and said, boy, I feel great again. It would just seem really foolish. Sometimes we have to do that with our children uh, as they're growing up. You know, sometimes you're like, wait, weren't you just wearing that? Oh, you were. Throw that in the laundry, right? Don't put that on again. This is what Paul's saying. You once walked this way. You once lived this way. Stop picking it back up and wearing it like this is what you should be. You should be living like Christ tells us to. And we're going to see that in a, in a following message. And we see that if you want to look ahead in verse 12 through the rest of the following verses, how we should live. Those are the characteristics. But he says, put off these things. Stop picking up those old nasty habits, those old nasty sin nature things. Stop letting those control your life. You're a Christian. You are risen with Christ. Live different. He says in verse 10, he says, this is your present condition. Here's what you should be doing. You should be a renewed person. The renewed man in verse 10 is what's talked about. It says in verse 10, and have put on the new self. So you put off these things, but you should put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of the cre- its creator. The new regenerate man is a replacement to the old man. This, this means that our old nature that we have that still lingers with us should be pushed aside and we should be living like the new creation we have. We should be being renewed. It's a constant process though. Day by day, we're being renewed. As it says in verse 10, it says, which is being renewed. Remember when we read the, the, uh, um, our creed today and talked about sanctification and glorification, justification, those things. We read about sanctification. This is sanctification right here. We are being renewed. It is a constant thing. Let me tell you, I fail all the time. I read this passage and I'm going through this and studying this this week and it it just sometimes I don't want to have to read it because I know it's convicting. And I know how ugly my life is. I know how wicked my heart is. I know how my speech gets to be blown up towards other people when I don't get my way and what I want. I look at this and I come back and I think, Lord, keep renewing me because I keep failing. I need to keep working towards Christ. Keep putting off that. Keep being renewed. The image that we are being renewed to is the image of the Creator. But that image has been marred with sin. Imagine a beautiful painting by Leonardo da Vinci or some wonderful painter and your kids and the two that are having a great time coloring right now in the two-year-old class gets to the box of crayons and just goes all over on it. All of a sudden, that picture is marred with the wonderful coloring of a two-year-old. The image of God was marred so much greater by sin. It has been destroyed, but Christ restores it so that we can be renewed to be made like Christ. We're being renewed. It's a constant process day by day. Has Christ changed your life? Are you in that process or are you still living under the oppression of sin? You need to be renewed. And because we're being renewed, 
we can look at verse 11 and see and praise God for it. We're being renewed and we have a parallel status. We have this condition that we're being renewed and we understand because of that we're in Christ. We've been risen. It says in verse 11, Here there is no Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. So when we look at this passage and see verses 1-4 through and say we have a life that's risen with Christ, it should eliminate any sort of racism. It should eliminate any sort of cultural status. This is a radical verse that should eliminate the way that our mind thinks. When we look at other people, we shouldn't look at them and think down on them. They're not as smart as me. They're not as good as me. They're not as handsome. They're not as wonderful. It should actually eliminate and destroy pride. Because of, the Christ, uh, because of the new change Christ has brought, there should not be pride among the church. We shouldn't look out on this congregation and look at each other and think, I'm way better than them. You know what? We are all in Christ. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ when we have submitted to Him as King. And so when we have pride in our heart, we're dwelling and we're living with this old nature. We're putting and picking up that old sinful garment instead of saying, I'm renewed. I'm risen with Christ. Brother, you're re- risen with Christ. Sister, you're risen with Christ. And we can live together in peace and joy because of what God has done and redeemed us from. We could rewrite this verse or say something like this, that the fact that there's not there's no poor or rich, old or young, American, Mexican, Filipino, doctor or criminal, billionaire, homeless, It doesn't matter what your status is, what your culture says you are, what your race is. When Christ has redeemed us, we're all equal in Him. We're all risen with Him. As we say, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. We can all come to Him for redemption. And it's wonderful that we get to point others in the same direction. We shouldn't be pointing at ourselves and saying, look at us. Look how good I am. We should actually be with others and pointing to Him and saying, look what He did. Look what He did for me. He saved a wretch like me. So I'm resolved to not live a life led by this world's delight. I'm resolved to point others to the light, to Jesus. But let me tell you, it's really tough. When that person pulls out in front of you and they're going 10 below the speed limit, it's tough because our heart says evil things towards them in our mind. It's really tough when we live a life with other people that are sinners. When we live a life with a spouse that's a sinner. And amazingly, my spouse lives with me who's also a sinner. We live with kids that are sinners. We live with other church members that are sinners. We live with people that have been redeemed, but we're still affected and impacted by sin. So I would encourage you, repent of an attitude of anger and bitterness and evil thinking towards others. Cut off those evil sexual desires. Cut off that sin you may be struggling with. Put on the risen life of Christ and live like Him. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let me ask, and we finish with this, have you been killing sin lately? It says in this verse, in verse 5, put to death what is earthly in you. Have you been putting to death sin in your life? Have you been eliminating it? Or has sin been killing you?
You're just letting it dominate you. You're letting it have victory over you. It's constantly controlling you. Or are you fighting a good fight? Fighting the battle against sin. Being renewed by God each day. Let me tell you, if you're not in the Word of God, you're not fellowshipping with other believers, you're not spending time in prayer, if you're not spending time dwelling and thinking on those things of God that God wants, it's no wonder we struggle with sin. It's no wonder we'll often look and say, you know what, my life is described by verse 5 and 8 and 9 instead of being described by those things other, other, uh, farther down in the chapter. You must be killing sin before it kills you. Commit to conquer sin in your life. If you need to repent today and even get help, and get counseling or get strength, I'd encourage you to do that. Kill sin before it kills you. Let's pray. Lord, it is really ugly when we look at our own hearts. It's really ugly when we look at our own lives and we see how bitter and resentful, anger, angry, even sexually immoral, that our hearts sometimes become. Lord, it's, it's tough because we even see it in our life. We see it in other Christians. We see that sin just constantly seems to get a victory. But I pray that we would fight against sin. Lord, give us the hope. Give us the strength. Give us the ability to even say, I need to go to help, uh, go to get help with other Christians. I need to be in the Word of God. Lord, I pray that we would submit ourselves to You so that we would stop sinning and we would fight against it. And Lord, thank You so much. For as in 1 John, it says, verse 1-9, that You are faithful and just to forgive us. Lord, that we can come to You and ask for forgiveness. I pray that You would work in the hearts of those today that have been struggling with sin. Help them to go and get forgiveness. Lord, I pray that they're struggling even with anger and bitterness and things that they've said or done towards other people, I pray that they wouldn't wait another day, but they would ask for forgiveness and get repent, repent of their sin to you and towards other people they've offended. Would you work in our heart and help us to be renewed day by day, being sanctified to be more like Christ? Lord, thank you for Scripture and how it pierces our hearts and divides and convicts. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. And use Your Spirit to convict us even as we go from here today. Convict us of what we say, what we think, what we do, so that we can be submitted more to You. Be more like Christ. Thank You for the grace that You give and allow us to do so. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.